read a poem. Hello, one and each and all, and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. And I'm Lauren. You have a new kitten. I do. Well, no new kittens. I just have uh, Link and Ellie romping around in the house. Both Jimbug. named after video game characters. Yep. Everybody in this litter were named after video game characters because my roommate is a nerd. That's excellent. Yeah. Junebug, who's uh, from Kentucky Route Zero, went home today. So what are we talking about today? I am reading The Silver Fish. <gasps> the Silver Fish. While fishing in the blue lagoon, I caught a lovely silver fish. And he spoke to me, my boy, quoth he, please set me free and I'll grant your wish. A kingdom of wisdom, a palace of gold, or all the goodies your fancies can hold. So I said, okay, and I threw him free. And he swam away and he laughed at me, whispering my foolish wish into a silent sea. Today, I caught that fish again, that lovely silver prince of fishes, and once again he offered me, if I would only set him free, any one of a number of wonderful wishes. He was delicious. And there is oh. a picture along with this one. It's a kid who, I can't tell if he's wearing clothes or not, but I figure he probably <laughs> is wearing pants without a shirt. And he's got a fishing rod with a hook in the nose of a fish with a very strange pointy face. Who professes to grant wishes and is a liar. Is a damn liar. I mean, if you were to catch a fish and it were to offer you wishes, it would totally be lying. But then again, it would be pretty strange to have a fish offer you wishes to start with, so... It's like every character in the Disney movies is behaving exactly as characters wouldn't. Right. I do love it. Or you go back and watch the B movie and the only sensible person is the lady's husband. What's the B movie? <laughs> that's, the, that's the one that's been endlessly memefied across the internet and Jerry Seinfeld voices a bee who decides he's going to sue the human race. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not familiar, I encourage you to watch it immediately. It is the most ridiculous concept for a movie. And then like millennials slash Gen Z a little bit kind of took it and ran with it. And it just became this wonderfully memeified thing where Jerry Seinfeld's The Bee movie is endlessly quotable and stupid. And like it's it's so many stupid points. Like so he's a bee and he decides he's going to sue the human race for profiting off of bee enterprises. You know, like essentially keeping bees in slavery. And Renee Zellweger voices the lawyer who is going to take up his case. And eventually she leaves her husband and there's, you know, like an overtone of bestiality and just a whole one. Like, it, it's so good. Bestiality? Exactly. And that's a meme. Ah! Ah! Puns so, are the highest form of comedy. It seems like this is your other podcast. Hey, James, watch this. And you're trying to convince <laughs> me to watch not, the bee movie. I, I don't mean to keep bringing up movies. I had to cut so much from our last episode because I just kept talking about movies. Hmm. Well, okay. um, so tell. <laughs> so I was going to compare it to that the the fable of the frog and the scorpion. Uh huh. Uh huh. I mean, there's uh, there's also the tale of the of the fisher's wife, in which uh, you know he the fisher is fishing and catches a fish who offers them wishes, and the wife keeps telling the husband to wish for 
like more and more and more outlandish wishes until finally the fish is like, ah, screw you guys. Now you're, you're no longer kings. Go back and live in your hovel. And <laughs> have you heard that tale? I've, I know I've heard a version of it. Yeah. Well, it's pretty stupid because it's all about like women are super greedy. I mean, it, I mean, the, 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 it's supposed to be like, hey, you know, be careful what you wish. Not so much be careful what you wish for, but be happy with what you have. But, you know, there's always this damn wife out there, this damn naggy wife who just wants so much. Oh, look at that. And, of course, it's the Brothers Grimm. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so good. Nope, you. Are, uh, I, I take back what I said. I do not know this version of this fable. This is so funny. Apparently, like the the, quoting from Wikipedia, eventually the wife wishes to command the sun, moon, and heavens, and she sends her husband to the flounder with the wish, quote, I want to become equal to God. And instead of granting this, the flounder tells the fisherman to go home. Yep. You're back in your hovel. Yeah. What what raised this specter of nightmarish fishery? Oh, uh, not much of a nightmare at all. Uh, you know, I haven't had many dealings with fish lately, but I went, <laughs> uh, I went camping with a friend out on the Nestucca River in towards the coast. It's on the coast range, and it's this beautiful river with a lot of wonderful swimming holes. And I did a lot of that. I did a lot of swimming in that cold, cold water uh, instead of dealing with another version of the heat wave in Portland. And there was this one pool where there is this fish that was over two feet long, at least. It was just like, wow, that is a big fish. But I had seen a whole bunch of other little fish that, I mean, I probably trying to grow up to be that big fish, but there was only one big fish. Are you fond of fishing? No, I'm a vegetarian. No, no, no. I, and, and, and of course, we've as we've mentioned on this podcast, but one can be, you know, just like the catch and release thing where it's yeah, like, well, that oh, seems, this is fun. I think catch and release is barbaric. like if you're gonna catch a fish you better eat it like why would you damage an animal just to like be like cool i damaged this animal now he's got so many cool piercings yeah i mean fish i guess a lot of them recover from catch and release but not all of them do depending on how they're hooked and like you might be killing the fish even if you're not eating it so you better eat it i have a friend the friend that i went to the nestucca the nestucca river with who his way of fishing uh, is to if the water's really nice and clear, he can puts on a snorkel and mask, and he patrols around in the water until he sees where the fish are hanging out, and then he casts his fly over to there and gets it. He says it feels like cheating, but he gets himself <laughs> some good fish. At one point in my life, and it was the coolest thing I've ever done, and I will never top this, was I once caught a small fish with my bare hands. I think I've done that. It was probably a stupid fish. <laughs> I mean, those minnows can be easy to catch. You just oh, this one really was the chest. size of my palm. It was like a perch oh. kind of a thing. Oh, uh, nicely done. No, I just I, I I I was standing in the water and was being very still, and it was circling around. And I leant over, and it kept on circling and wasn't bothered. And then I just snatched it as would a heron, and I reached my evolutionary peak there. And lightning should have killed me there because nothing will ever top it. That's pretty amazing. You know, if everybody did that version of Cash and Release, I would be all about it. When I was a small, my granddad would take me fishing. And it was, you know, kind of the bonding thing. But I found it intolerably boring. Mm -hmm. I do not get fishing full stop. I mean, I think it's mostly an excuse to be out in the water, but like without anybody else bothering you. But I think a lot of people just use it as an excuse to be out to the water, but also drink beer. 
but you ostensibly have a task and I think people feel better when they're doing a task rather than just like enjoying nature without a task. And I couldn't shame anyone for it. Like, I can't say you're a terrible person because you enjoy fishing. I just don't understand it. I mean, I did call it barbaric. You do raise a good point where it's like, if you're just standing next to a river drinking beer, you're clearly a sociopath. But if you're doing it and you're fishing, well, that's productive. I mean, I think you should just stand in a river and drink beer. <laughs> it raises so many questions. I mean, just ga- gazing unbroken into the middle distance, just swilling I, beer in the middle of the river. I mean, I'm pretty sure, my friend. I mean, you can there you can swim. You know, that's a thing. Swimming is a thing. <laughs> or waiting. Where is that? How far out is this river from you? Well, about a two-hour drive. Not that it's like. Well, I mean, it starts earlier than that, but like the, a, a lot of the lovely accessible parts are two hours away. And it's not that far. It's just, you know, a windy mountain road. And so you can't go very fast. Is it one of those neat glacial runoff things? Probably. Or is it I mean, fed the, by the coast, I mean, here's the thing. is the co- it's, It can't really be because the coast range isn't very tall. So it doesn't really have glacial runoff. It's, it's, mm. it's got to be spring fed. I am learning all of these terms for the first time now because now I live in places that have that thing. I know of the Nestucca because I've uh, the Nestucca River Road is one of the bike routes to the beach. It's a very, it's a very uh, big hill, big hill, big hill. You'd have to climb the Cascade Range. Sorry, not the Cascade, but the Coast Range in a place where it is not kind at all. And, oh wait, the Nestucca River has a dam in it. I forgot about that part, but like. There's a wes- reservoir, and then and then a lot of the water comes from the reservoir. But it's not like the river. It's not like the reservoir started the river or anything. You know, there's got to be a source, and it's got to be a spring because there isn't glacial melt on the coast range. Well, being from Texas, where there are only one or debatably two natural lakes, I uh, I understand the process. There are a lot of natural lakes up here. We there have a are. lot. Of- there's so many lakes. Yeah, it's pretty great. There are no natural lakes in Maryland. Only man-made ones. I am venturing to Whistler at the end of August, which is a place that I know nothing about, but it's pretty and attracts skiers. And, of course, there's no snow now, but, you know, Right. Mountains. What is What does it look like on the on the air quality map? Oh, I've got no idea, but it's also, but, but I'm not going for like four weeks, so, right. you know. Yeah, it'll probably be worse then. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, true. Our resident sunny optimist, Lauren, everybody. Well, the air quality is going to be terrible until the rains come, and the rains don't really come until October. I'm glad you're waiting, because everything's going to burn. It's true. <laughs> I'm. My family is supposed to go to, I think I already maybe said this on an earlier episode, but my family's supposed to go to Yellowstone to spread my dad's ashes in, in like a little more than a month, but I think that the air is going to be unbreathable, and maybe the whole thing will be on fire. Who knows? <laughs> I know. It, so, it seems so callous for me to be laughing, but I just love your delivery. Yeah, we're going to spread my dad's ashes. Might be on fire. Who knows? Well, I mean, Find seems out. appropriate to spread ashes in a place with lots of fire. <laughs> I have actually been in Yellowstone when it's uh, when it's been on fire before. I've been in Yellowstone, but it wasn't on fire. How does it differ? Uh, I don't know. I was very young, but I knew we like maybe had to evacuate, but decided not to, and everything was fine. But at one point we were driving on a road and like everything around was black and smoking and still on fire. 
and there were these firefighters walking around waving us through and that was odd oh childhood when everything burned and now it's all still burning yeah so this week i bring you the worst the worst the worst oh no that sounds bad when singing songs of scariness of bloodiness and hairiness i feel obligated at this moment to remind you of the most ferocious beast of all <gasps> three thousand pounds and nine feet tall the glurpy slurpy skakagrawl who's standing right behind you ah! Ah! i have a long running tradition uh, that it, <laughs> that at one point I tried to rope you into because I do mm -hmm. love movies, um, and that is that I Halloween. Do not love movies. <laughs> you do not love movies. It's a, it's a lot of sitting and staring. Yeah, I don't uh, sit still very well. It's such a commitment to stare for that long. Ninety whole minutes of staring, GM Chrysler. Most of them are not ninety minutes. Most of them are a couple hours at least. Yeah, like and then you watch the extended Lord of the Rings editions, and the doors are locked, and I've made fudge, <laughs> you know. <laughs> See, you might actually get me to, to, to do that sometime because I did love Lord of the Rings so much as a kid. God, it's so good. Um, but the, the, the worst is one of those tropey horror things. And every year for the last many years, I go out and scour the internet and compile a Halloween short film festival. And... Friends get together and watch the movies that I've found that hopefully they've never seen before, and that's the that's the spiel of it. And it's starting to branch out even further geographically because you know last year was COVID, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you were like, "Russ, this sounds terrible." Um, but I start gathering these movies really, really early, mm -hmm. and then I go through big debates with myself about what works and what doesn't, and what's scary and what's not. And I love horror movies. And so many that you see that are fan-created, and well, I mean, 90% of everything is crap, but they all rely on that device, where it's like, and then the monster comes for you, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And no one has figured out that that's not scary. What? The mon that monsters, or, and then the monster comes from you? Comes for yes. You. Both. Oh, okay. Because designing a monster... So, for a while, people picked up on that whole Uncanny Valley thing. Yeah. And for, first, like the, the, the internet running with the idea of the Uncanny Valley was so wonderful because they took it to an evolutionary standpoint. And it's like, we're not afraid of scarecrows, but we're afraid, everyone across the board, of things that look just a little bit not human. Mm. Like what happened in our shared past to implant that? Well, it's I have like theories, uh, but... An interesting point my friend April brought up is that she has said that uh, one of the reasons zombies are scary is because people are scary. And so it's, I think, in one, it's sort of a caricature of our fears of other people. Except that zombies are never the monster. Right. Like if you're watching Walking Dead or, you know, Night of the Living Dead or Pick Your Zombie Poison, the, the zombies are never, the, they're a force. Okay. They're not the bad yeah. guy. People are okay. always the bad guy. Well, supposedly, I mean, one of the evolutionary advantages to disliking Uncanny Valley type stuff is that uh, if somebody isn't healthy, if someone doesn't look healthy, they might be diseased and you might not want to 
intermingle with them. And these are all sensible responses. But the internet took hold of it, and they posited the idea of a now-extinct creature that looked just enough like humans to be terrifying. Uh-huh. Well, there were a lot of human-like creatures. There was Neanderthals and Devonsonian, and I mean, they're, they're finding more than that Yeah, but now. we like Neanderthals. We shagged them a lot. I know. I have an unusual amount of Neanderthal DNA. <laughs> Oh, homo antecessor. No fetishes for homo antecessor? Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, but, so, so clearly, clearly, like, there's a certain looking like human that isn't human that we have found just fine. And then you get into horror movies with it, and then it becomes the monster. But the scary right. thing is this thing just doesn't look like people. But that's step one. Like, like you need to, to make good horror, you have to take it to like an existential place. And so when people talk about, uh, you know, like the classics of horror, people think about, oh, the exorcist always comes up. And it's like, yeah, that's scary because here's some, here, here's a little girl that got taken over by a demon. But what's scary is that like your entire worldview gets upset. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that fundamentally changes a nature of reality. And well, I mean, there are monster movies that kind of do that, aren't there? Um, I mean, like I've heard, like that kind of, and like, I don't, I haven't seen any movies, but from the look of it, looks of it, like a quiet place was kind of like that. I think a, a quiet place will go down as a good horror movie or a good creature feature, just because it was a well-made movie. Hmm. But but on the flip side, it's like you can have movies that are good that aren't like necessarily well-made. Okay, fair. Movies that unintentionally become good. It's like something like, oh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Like that always goes down as like seminal horror. But like Freddy Krueger is like in his initial outset was not an interesting villain. Like he was just another like voiceless thing. And it wasn't until like two and three that he got a personality and became kind of a like wisecracking monster, which hadn't (laughs) been done before. But A Quiet Place makes zero sense as a movie. The, the the monsters operate on sound, right? Like like you have to be cl- like they hear you and then they attack you. Okay, fine, that's a good monster trait. But the movie shows us that if you're in next to a waterfall, the monsters can't find you. So why didn't everyone just live next to the waterfall? Well, why couldn't they find? There was it was because it was constant noise. It was constant noise. Well, there are a lot of things you can do to have constant noise. And now you see what I mean when I okay. say, like, the production value was good, but the movie doesn't make sense. Right. Fair. Like, if, if you break it down, it's a well-made movie, but it's well-made in the fact that you kind of forget about those things. Okay. Fair. And so, like, A, a Quiet Place, like, John Krasinski kills it, and Emily Blunt kills it, and the kids kill it, and the monsters are stupid because they can hear really well, but they also get screwed up by waterfalls and so why don't we just live next to the waterfall well let's not look too closely at that and let's move on like fine but like you know just suspension of disbelief yeah but the monsters in a quiet place don't look human at all mm. like, like they have nothing to do with the uncanny valley mm-hmm. and they have a really dumb weakness because if you give them too much sound they freak out and then you can shoot them like now i realize i'm starting to hate a quiet place <laughs> I liked that movie. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so the worst. So the worst. Yeah, no. But uh, w- what I was thinking of was that I love horror movies, and I love creating these the, 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 this little 
curated playlist such as it is. And 90% of the horror movies that you see on YouTube, like the ones that are like five-minute fan-made, mm-hmm. it's all, here's a monster we came up with, and ah! and now it has you, and that's mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. And nothing scary can be derived from that. And then here's our friend Shell who's saying, oh, no, it's right behind you. And the illustration is just a, your standard troll-looking monster with fuzz coming off it. Shell has a number of monster poems. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, there's, there's the Bloth and... The Yip Yuck. The Yip Yuck. Was the Bloth... Did I just make that up? No, Bloth is a monster poem. Okay. Like, the Bloth is the one where it's like, oh, if if you can't see it... Oh, it was, it was the way... No, it was, it was like, it's, it doesn't know about me, so I'm safe. But I know a lot about it, so I'm safe. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one. And then the Yip Yuck is attached to somebody's foot. Yeah, the toe. Yeah. But they're they're all fairly harmless seeming kind of I mean in a, in my adult way the yip yuck seems kind of terrible but I mean think for a kid it's just kind of silly. Well how do you think somebody reads uh the worst to a kid? Do you think they go it is standing right behind you and then tickle them or something? Oh definitely. Uh-huh, I have uh-huh. such a fond memory of I'd have to look the book up again, but I remember I remember this like it was yesterday. It was the most fun I've ever had being read aloud to. I was in elementary school, and our school librarian, it was around Halloween time, and they had a book. And I'm sure I could look it up really easily, but, you know, time. The end of the book, it, it, it was, the theme of the book was you're not supposed to open this door. Mm. Like, you're in a house, and this door, you're not supposed to open. Do anything else in the house you want to. But don't open this door. And then, of course, at the very end of the book, the misled child opens the door. Right. But the book doesn't tell you what was behind the door. It's like they they open the door. And then the last page, and you're this is meant to be read aloud because the librarian is reading it to us. And it's built up and it's built up and it's built up and it's built up. It's don't open the door, don't open the door, don't open the door. Don't. And then they open the door. And my only advice to you, if you ever see this door, is keep that door shut. Uh. And you slam the book as hard as you can. And every member of my class freaked out. Like we Uh. all jumped six feet off the ground and it was like, oh, yeah. Like it was so good. Oh, good. Oh, that sounds delightful. There's a slightly reminds me. Although the the intention is different, is uh, I think the monster at the end of this book with Grover. Oh, with Grover, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it turns out the monster is him, but that's Aww. not so scary, is it? As Hitchcock said, there is no terror in the bang, only in the anticipation of it. Wow. Well, what uplifting thoughts do you have for our listeners today? One of my foster kittens went home, and this was the one that didn't have an adopter yet, and so it happened so fast, and it was great, and. Spay and neuter your pets because this kitten season has is rough because last last year there weren't that many TNR efforts and low cost spay and neuter programs going on, so there are just way too many cats this year. So spay and neuter your pets and Junebug went home. Yay, Junebug. Mm-hmm. Adopt don't shop. Mm-hmm.